Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks from Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. You know, I had a little bit of a health issue lately and I lost a lot of weight, almost like 60 pounds. Now, some of that was on purpose. Some of that was from the hospital stay, uh, but I had to get some new clothes. And so guess where I'm going? That's right. I'm going to Leon Tailoring because Larry, Norm, Kim and Judy, they've taken my measurements for years and the measurements have dropped a little bit. And so they'll take care of me just like they'll take care of you. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. Don't tell me you lost weight. They'll be able to tell if you have or not. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Brandon, Brandon Smith with IPB News. If you want to go ahead and ask a question. Thanks, Rebecca. Hey, um, this is probably a question mostly for Kevin. Um, you ta we talked about at the top that it will uh, this plan will help guide, as the others have, your advocacy um, with particularly state government. Looking at these pillars and the goals you've set, a lot of them are kind of extending further plans and goals you've already had. So things like educational, uh, you know, post-secondary attainment mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, the number of business startups and workforce participation rate and things like that. So how much of your advocacy won't really change, but just continue along the lines you've already been doing for a decade plus? Uh, that's a good, good question, Brandon. I would say that the pillars are um, similar or almost the same um, in, in some areas as, for example, our Vision 2025 plan, but the goals underneath those pillars um, are different and reflect uh, a forward-looking, you know, from today to 2035 and beyond. Um, and uh, so that's really where the, the difference comes from and where we've pivoted in, in many of these areas within the, the broader uh, subject area. Did you have a follow-up, Brandon, or was that all you needed? That's all I needed on that question. Okay. Thanks, thank Brandon. Oh. Rebecca, you muted yourself. Yeah. I unmuted, then muted, then I'm, then I'm unmuted again. Uh -huh. uh, Ryan Hedrick uh, with WIBC has a question. Ryan, go ahead. Ryan? Can you go off mute and ask your question? Uh, sorry about that. I apologize. <laughs> my mic was on, but my mute was uh, still on. So you were you were um, following my clumsy lead in. So <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. It is contagious. Thank you very much for having me on the call. I appreciate your time and effort. Um, can you talk about the general recovery from the pandemic in 2020 and what compelled you to rip up the original plan you had going forward and revise its plan? And, and the second part of that question is, do you believe that if something like that were to happen again, I'm talking about the pandemic, that this plan would, would withstand a shutdown or some type of economic turmoil similar to what we experienced in 2020? Well, first, Ryan, we didn't rip up our Vision 2025 plan. We, we continued to work towards the goals in that plan while um, beginning the work on preparing a new plan, we just started uh, the, the work on the successor plan uh, sooner than we originally envisioned because of the tremendous upheaval of the pandemic. Um, our volunteer leaders, uh, Larry and folks from our foundation board and staff felt like, wow, things are, are changing rapidly. Um, th there's a big upheaval. 
and that we ought to go ahead and start working on the new plan. But we continued uh, to use the Vision 2025 as our guidepost. And now um, from this point forward, starting a bit sooner, 2023 versus 2025, um, we will use the goals in this new plan as our guidepost. And you know, if um, if something um, dramatic changes, I could see that uh, you know a, a pivot again. I can tell you that in the middle of um, the period from 2012 when we released the 2025 plan to the 2025 end date, uh, we did a mid uh, session or mid plan correction in uh, 2015. We looked at the goals that we had already achieved. We looked at where there were some things that needed to be added, in particular with respect to uh, opioids and uh, drug deaths. We didn't really have a goal uh, in that area. And so that was added as well as some other adjustments. So um, it is, in, in reality, uh, can be a living, breathing uh, plan that's not necessarily set in stone for that time period. And that's that's what we've done here with the 2025 plan was to start earlier on the next iteration. And I would just add briefly, Kevin, to your comments, which I, I think are spot on. And, and Ryan, I think your, your question's a really good one related to the ability for this plan to endure itself through um, something other big, whether it's an economic event, a pandemic, let's hope that doesn't happen, but another big pandemic. But I think the interesting thing on our timing here was not only as we are emerging from COVID, but we've also seen the last three to five years since, you know, obviously since this last plan certainly was done, the amount of technology change that has disrupted all industry sectors really, really grew significantly. And the task force was very thoughtful about making sure that we had the fundamentals right in this plan that could help us through an economic recession or some other big global event that would happen. And yes, Kevin's right. There's It's a living, breathing plan. It can be adjusted. But I think we were very deliberate about making sure we factored in, in particular, a lot of these technology disruptions we've seen, some of which will be permanent coming out of COVID without a doubt. Great. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Ryan. Uh, we have a question here from Leslie with the Capital Chronicle. Leslie, if you want to go ahead. All righty. Thank you so much. Um, you may have addressed this answer um, already, Mr. Gagrich, but um, I believe it was you that spoke about losses and entrepreneurial development. Um, and I was wondering if you could expand on what you meant by that. You know, just did the number of businesses we have total like decrease and also on how the plan addresses those losses? Yeah, no, absolutely. Great, great question. So, uh, you know, one of the things we've always done with our report card, whether it's previous plans or what we'll be doing with Indiana Prosperity 2035 as we move forward, as Kevin mentioned, is looking at how Indiana fares and ranks compares with other states in, in different factors around um, business formation, jobs associated with small businesses, our startup success rate, those kinds of things. And, and, and as I noted earlier, and Kevin touched on this too, we did see Indiana slip as compared to other states in many of those metrics around entrepreneurial development and small businesses. And it doesn't necessarily mean 
that we lost um, more businesses than we created, it means that we did not grow or achieve as much success as other states and we fell in the rankings. And now uh, I think, and I don't remember this you know, top of my head, but I think most of those small business and entrepreneurial rankings, you know, we rank somewhere in that 39 to 50 range, depending on the metric. We had, um, going back pre-COVID, had made good headway. And in some of those categories, we had put ourselves anywhere from, you know, the upper 20s to the, to the upper 30s, that range. So again, it doesn't mean we Law, you know, we had more businesses fail than be successful, whether it's entrepreneurial development or small business. It just means other states outpaced us and we have work to do. Again, I think in particular, since Indiana is so dependent on its own homegrown businesses as a part of its economy and knowing that almost, you know, almost all of our new jobs, 80 plus percent will come from those small businesses and existing businesses in our state. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Leslie. We have three questions in queue. We'll go back to Brandon Smith, who has another question. Hey, thanks. Um, uh, Kevin, this is another one for you. It's kind of related to, uh, again, advocacy at the State House. Mm -hmm. You've had that you and the Chamber have had a lot of success over the last decade plus um, at the State House with lawmakers, particularly when it comes to what you've already talked about with the business and tax climate here in Indiana and regulatory environment. You've started to lose some success or at least not have as much success on things like health and quality of life, welcome, welcomingness, if that's a word uh, here in Indiana, some of the things you've advocated for in those areas. I see, you know, when we talk about pipeline development and, and, and workforce development, a lot of it is going on in those areas in terms of where Indiana needs to improve. So how do you turn the tide at the state house with lawmakers who don't seem to be listening to you on those sorts of issues? Well, first, I would say we have had some success in the in the um, the health area. Um, perhaps not as much and as fast as we'd like, but we've we've raised uh, the legal age for uh, tobacco and vaping products from 18 to 21. Uh, we've uh, imposed a tax that didn't exist before on on the vaping products, and um, this past session. Uh, we believe that but for a revenue forecast update in mid-April that added another billion and a half dollars in projected revenue that we could have very well seen a cigarette tax um, imposed to fund the uh, public health and mental behavioral health uh, legislation, Senate Bill 1 and Senate Bill 4. Uh, we were counting votes in the Senate. We had statements of public um, support from various members, multiple members of the Ways and Means Committee. So yeah, it hasn't uh, gone as fast or as quickly, but there have there have been su some successes there. <clears throat> um, but uh, you know, we will keep uh, presenting these these uh, metrics and and showing how that's hurting uh, the ability of uh, employers to recruit and bring employees in. It's it's adding uh, to healthcare costs that we hear from members who have facilities in multiple states consistently tell us that Indiana is the highest healthcare cost state um, in, that they operate in. And so, um, you know, we'll keep after that. And um, likewise, uh, work on the quality of place issues through, you know, something very successful, which has been 
Ready One and Ready 2.0. Um, so, uh, you know, I have this old saying around the General Assembly that um, good ideas sometimes take three or more years to pass and bad ideas only take one. Um, and uh, that certainly has proved proven to be the case in this area. But um, we are uh, persistent and, and patient and persevere, if nothing else. Thanks very much. Now we'll go to Erica with Axios. Hi, thank you. I just I wanted to ask specifically about your uh, goal to increase the number of Hoosiers with some sort of you know post-secondary education mm -hmm. to seventy percent. I believe um, is what you've got here. Yeah. Previously, that was sixty percent by twenty twenty-five. We obviously aren't you know on track to hit that. I think the last number I saw was maybe forty-eight percent. Um, so I guess what are your plans or, or what gives you hope that even though we're behind on our previous goal, you know, we should be shooting even higher than that? Well, um, we've made considerable progress towards that goal. And I think having that goal has put a lot of focus and intention on that. When we released our um, 2025 plan in, in 2012, we were at 33%. And the latest numbers that I've seen, and Jason Beers can check me on this, is yeah, we've actually gone just in, in one short period of time from 48 to 54%. Um, so uh, we have an opportunity to either get there or get real close by 2025 to the 60% goal, which originally um, I thought, boy, that's, that's, a, that's a big goal and a, and a long way to go when we first um, started after this in 2012. Um, and so uh, we, we may not get there by 2025, but we're going to be awfully close. And, um, you know, we need that uh, to continue even further. And we, we've chosen the target of 70% because when you look at the job openings um, that are out there of new jobs created, not just ones replacing someone who's leaving or retiring, but the newly created jobs overwhelmingly and overwhelmingly, by overwhelmingly, I mean 90% or more require uh, some level of post high school degree credential or certification. Uh, and Jason, you wanna comment further on that? Sorry, also having problems with my mute button this morning. No, I think you, you hit that perfectly right. Thanks, Jason. So um, I, I'm optimistic if we don't quite get there, uh, we're going to be close and we're going to be better served for having had this goal uh, to work towards um, since 2012 and, and continuing on into the future. Thanks, Kevin. Up next, we have a question from Jared Meeks with State Affairs. I saw a note that there are continued calls for reducing the number of small school districts with enrollments below 2,000 students uh, by half. Could someone walk us through how you believe that is going to complement the other K through 12 goals that are listed? And uh, if anybody can maybe chime in with if they know how many school districts are in Indiana with that enrollment range. Jared, thank you for that softball. Um, I, I almost chose that as one of the two goals within K-12 to highlight, but it's kind of a, a personal passion of mine. I decided not to impose uh, a full rank, so to speak. Um, 
uh, to your latter question, um, Indiana has 289 school districts. Of those, uh, we define a, a small district as um, a district that has less than 2,000 students in all of K through 12. And that's um, a number that's been arrived at by a variety of studies uh, that look at operational efficiencies of school districts. Uh, some of those studies have been from uh, sources outside the state of Indiana. Uh, one was a few years back from Purdue University, another one from Ball State University that said, once you get below 2000 students, uh, you can't uh, really operate efficiently because you've got so much money going to cover the overhead and not enough students to spread that overhead over. Um, we produced a study in 2018 or 17 that looked at what are the academic outcomes, the achievement of students in the smaller districts versus students in the larger districts. And of those 289 school districts, back then 54% of them, so over half had less than 2000 students and almost 20% had uh, less than 1000 students in all of K through 12. Um, our new study, I haven't seen all the data, but I saw one that shows that that, that number has jumped to 56%. The small districts are getting smaller because populations are shifting to the suburban and urban areas. And what our previous study uh, found, and I believe our new updated study will find as well, is that um, the academic achievement of the students in the small districts where they don't necessarily have access to high level uh, courses, uh, particularly in their high schools, and they don't have as much money available to pay teachers. And, and so they, the, the better teachers often go to other districts where they have more pay. These students um, have statistically significant lower scores and achievements on iLearn, iRead, ACT, SAT, advanced placement courses taken, advanced placement courses passed. And so our contention is that effectively, Indiana is running a two-tiered education system and that a number of kids are being disadvantaged academically and ultimately economically based on where they live uh, because they're in districts that can't provide the quality of education that they could get if they were in a larger school district with more opportunities. And if I could uh, do just a quick follow-up, uh, how realistic do you think getting legislators from these rural districts behind this idea is going to be? Well, that's that remains to be seen, but I think you know we're going to um, you know continue to. Um, push the message that you are disadvantaging the kids in your legislative districts by not moving forward. And the interesting thing is, and Jason can tell you as well, that literally every legislator we talk to agrees that we have too many school districts. The question is, how do we get enough political will and momentum to get the General Assembly to do something about it? And so we're going to use, as we did the prior study, uh, the new study that the foundation is um, funding uh, to use it as a hammer to, to beat the legislators with to say, hey, something's got to change here. Thanks.
Thanks, Jared. And, and as you can tell, Jared, I, I'm not at all caring or passionate about this issue. <laughs> thanks, Kevin, and thanks, Jared. We have one more question in queue, but if you if anyone else has a question, please get it in here in the final minutes. Um, the question is from Abdul with Indy Politics. Abdul, go ahead. Hi, guys. Sorry for joining. Late had to interview an old criminal law professor on Donald Trump's indictment, so we're all squared away now. Uh, Kevin, uh, did you guys mention anything about sort of quality of life uh, related type issues? I know sort of the new economic development has not so much been, you know, here's where the job is, you move there. Now sort of people sort of figure out where they want to live and then they, they find the jobs that follow. Yeah, in fact, our, um, pull this back up. Uh, our fifth pillar is um, making quality of play strategies a priority. Uh, and so uh, then, then there are goals under, underneath that. So yes, and it's, you know, uh, doing things like continuing, uh, expanding, and using wisely the, the ready funds uh, that have been invested, um, improving housing, uh, which is becoming a real impediment to, um, to job growth, recruitment, uh, in, improving communities. So yeah, there, there are a number of goals under that uh, key pillar. And, I, and Kevin, I would just briefly add there to Abdul to your question that, you know, the well-educated workforce under 35 is first figuring out where they want to live and then making sure that there are job opportunities there once they make that decision. So the talent and quality of place pieces are linked incredibly closely together, as you noted, and that's an important part of economic development moving forward, and, and we were conscientious about that. I don't think we have any more questions. We'll give maybe a minute to get anything in, but Paul, Larry, or Kevin, do you have any closing remarks to just wrap things up? I do. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, I just want to say um, that as I enter the um, final few months of my 31-year tenure with the Indiana Chamber, I am particularly pleased and proud that um, we've been able to put this plan together and, and bring it forth and know that work will be done um, to continue Indiana's prosperity and, and enhance Indiana's competitiveness um, well beyond my, uh, my tenure here at the chamber. And I, I wanna thank uh, Paul and Larry and uh, the members of our government affairs and communications team who are on the call here and um, the other members of the task force um, who spent um, upwards of 18 months and, and half day um, planning and discussion sessions, um, we're, we're, we definitely benefited from their wisdom and their participation um, and uh, they did it all at no charge. Mm -hmm. um, so we're very grateful and, and I am uh, grateful to uh, be able to bring this forward. I would also mention that, lastly, um, we will be presenting this plan to each of the declared gubernatorial candidates uh, and asking for the opportunity to go through it with them, to encourage them to embrace it and adopt as much of it as, as they see fit uh, into their both their, their campaign platforms and their governing platform should they be elected as our next governor. We do have a final, another question came in from Jared, if you want to go ahead. 
Yeah, this is uh, kind of piggybacking off of Erica's question with the uh, 60% to 70% goal for higher education. Mm -hmm. I know that some experts are projecting there's going to be an academic cliff in the next few years and that there's going to be fewer people going into higher education and getting those credentials. Is the higher percentage almost needed to cancel out what could be a drop in enrollment for those kind of things, or is that a fear that uh, any of you are considering? Well, the, we are certainly aware of the cliff, and we've already seen um, a, a drop in um, uh, college enrollment uh, in Indiana, kind of precipitous from um, 65% to 52%. And Jason, I think the latest numbers may be even that we did below 50%. But keep in mind, this goal is not just traditional four-year college degrees. The, the goal, the 60% goal uh, and the 70% goal are uh, any post-high school degree, credential, or certification, certification or certificate. So it's it's anything post-secondary, not just not just four-year degrees. And so we know that actually the largest growth in employer demand will be in that middle skills area that's more than a high school diploma, but less than a four-year degree. That's not to say that we don't continue to need um, a large number of students to go on to those four-year degrees and beyond, um, but um, the goal relates to everything uh, post-high school. Rebecca, if I might add something as well, I, uh, you know, as a private sector business person, I know the importance of setting goals and having ways of measuring uh, progress. And, and I just want to thank Kevin for his leadership for over 20 years. Uh, he has, uh, we, we've got three plans that, that we've set out. And uh, I talked to so many people across the state who have use that as their reference point for whether or not our state is moving forward. And, and so uh, I think that this plan, uh, thanks uh, to Larry, is our best plan uh, yet. And, uh, and it's going to continue to be important that we have these measuring sticks so we know if we're, we're moving ahead or not. So thank you, guys. Thank you, Paul. I don't see any more questions. Larry, do you have anything you want to wrap up here at the end? The only thing I'll say, just to reemphasize kind of my key takeaway is Indiana's made a lot of progress over the last 20 years, um, but so have a lot of our competitors. And we have to make sure we successfully execute this plan to improve lives, the lives of Hoosiers in every corner of our state. This is our opportunity to seize it and to build on the success of the past. And time is of the essence. Thank you. Thanks to Kevin, Larry, and Paul, and thanks to all of you for joining us today. For the media members, you'll get the press release and all the downloadable links uh, as soon as this uh, press conference ends. You'll re receive those in your inbox. Thank you, and have a good rest of your day, everyone. Thanks, everyone. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.